Hello, I'm your host, Giselle Gamby, and this is the Intuitive Pool Podcast, where together we'll embrace the plans we did not make yet unfold businesses and lives that are so much greater in wealth in all ways than any business or life plan could ever achieve. My wish is that you make intuition your most trusted advisor. So buckle up, get present, and let's go. Hello, hello, team, Intuitive Pool podcast community. Welcome to another episode. Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know for the people who are listening to this for the first time and for people who have heard about this already, I want to remind you about a new nine-week online group meditation program that I received whilst I was going for a walk two Sundays ago where all my worlds collided and I received the answer to a question that I'd been holding for at least six months. How can I be of service to more people, to more and more people? Well, I might as well go straight to the source of the backbone of all the most significant transformations I've experienced in my life. And that is meditation, meditation, meditation in all of its forms. And when I talk about all of its forms, I mean closed eye meditation, listening to guided meditations, going for walks, going for runs, listening to beautiful music, writing, drawing, painting, having a shower, or even vacuum cleaning. Whatever that activity is that opens your mind up into the vast, vast consciousness that is possible. And so this nine-week online group program will commence on the 30th of January. And for nine weeks, what I'll do is I will create a specifically curated meditation that I'm going to ask participants of that program to listen to at least five times that week. And to up their meds, different meds, to up their meditations, to up their activity that has them open up their mind to that vast, vast consciousness. What we'll also do is every fortnight we'll jump on a group call on Zoom. And the intention behind these group calls is quite simply magic. I know, I know that some pretty spectacular things will occur by sharing what we've been receiving in our meditations, by sharing what we've been implementing, and by hearing other people's stories. There will be such synergy, I just know that. And I also know that there will be collaboration that will occur. So we'll be in a sacred network, we'll be in a community of truth, and we'll all be dedicated to listening to our intuition and to implementing that over these nine weeks. It's a container. It's a container for you to really, really see that authenticity is profitable in many, many ways. Details are in the show notes. Please check out this program if you're pulled. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, I can't urge you enough to check that program out. 
It is so in alignment with the messages and the experience and the tone and the intentionality of this podcast. And it's a more direct experience and some more directly supported experience by me. High, high, high value. And and it's accessible. It really is. So please check that out. There's an early bird rate that is available for people who commit before the 31st of December. And there's also a referral fee where I will refund you 25% of your fee for every successful referral. I'm a, a really amazing referrer. I, I love to refer people I love to people I love. And so I'm bringing this here. If you love this podcast, if you would love to experience that nine-week meditation program with people you love, you could actually pay nothing should you take advantage of the early bird fee and enroll four people. You'd pay nothing. So check it out. It's in the show notes. Make sure you do that uh, and enroll before the 31st of December so you can take advantage of that early bird fee. Having said that, let's get into this episode. This episode has been in the, the making for actually really since the moment that I left Croatia in September. I met this beautiful man, Troy Methorst. I met him because he was a client and is now a, a partner with my beautiful co-facilitator, Shari L, who facilitated with me in Croatia. I met him and his beautiful wife, Beck in Europe and I was so taken by this gentle giant that I had a feeling that I wanted to interview him and so that happened last week. It was a very very deep interview and it's taken me until now uh, to get my teeth into it and to edit an almost two-hour conversation into something that is perfect for this podcast. So Troy Methorst was a search team commander as part of the Australian Army, and he was that in Afghanistan. His role was to help plan mission on the ground to get his guys in and out safely. And he led his team of engineers to search high-risk areas for IEDs and to search for enemy cached weapons. He's also, since leaving the army, he's also one of the three co-founders of this incredible organization called Veteran Mentors. It's a youth development program where they focus on building courage, resilience, respect for teenagers, using the military structure as the foundation and teaching life lessons to kids around vulnerability and choice. They've taken about over 2,000 kids through this program, and I know that this program changes these children and these family lives. He joined the Army at 18 years old, and he left in 2012, and he started Veteran Mentors in September 2017. I'm calling this episode The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Enjoy. So the interview begins with Troy, with Troy asking me if he can show me 
about a 20-minute video, a montage of his time in Afghanistan so that I could get a real feel for what life was like for him over there. And so we were watching it together. And as we were going through, I thought, actually, we're already in the interview because we're already talking. So I pressed record. The audio is not fantastic in the beginning of this episode because it is the audio of this montage. So you're not going to see the visuals, unfortunately, as to what I saw, but you're going to get a feel of the environment that Troy was in and you're going to touch into his his story there. And then when that completes, we can, we continue on and the sound is fantastic. So let's go. So this is where, geez, geez, I'm a bit choked up. Um, this is where we lived, in the pirate ship, we called it. Um, that's a better photo of it. There's about 30 of us living down the, in the back in the depths of that. I'll, I'll pause it here for a sec. Um, when I'm saying engineers, like I'm I'm actually, I don't, can you see my mouse or not? Yeah, I can see your mouse. So like I'm I'm that guy. Uh-huh. That's actually me. Uh-huh. So I have I had a team of four, including myself. And so our role was to, um, and you can see everyone's walking directly behind us mm. because we, our front two guys have metal detectors. So they're checking the ground for <coughs> um, mm. bombs and things. Mm. So yeah, everyone just followed us pretty much. So we always plan the missions and choose the most uh, least likely places to get blown up, but we also needed to, to check on the ground. So that was kind of our role. Mm. Do you normally get choked up? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So this is that was a graveyard actually. So they used to hide things in graveyards. Um, so it's kind of a bit awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, so when you had vehicles, we used to walk down the roads of the, the vehicle tracks. The, the best way not to get blown up was to choose random paths. Constantly changing, never doing the same thing twice. There were locals around, um, it's generally pretty safe because the locals know where the bombs are. They never would tell you, but... Um, it's, it's constantly like trying not to fall over. Everything's rocky. Um, yeah, that's me in the middle with uh, a guy on the left and my left arm was Sergeant Crib, which is important for this little moment in time. On the right of the screen there is a school. Um, and from this photo was taken um, in the morning. So overnight, the bad guys put the flag in. So this is our base. And that's like two or three hundred metres away from our base. Um, so they're essentially pointing the finger at us saying, oh, you were asleep. Um, yeah, so what we did, we went down to, there's a chief there, local chief. Um, so what we did is, because it's so close to our base, and it, so from our base, there's kind of a line in the sand, which is kind of that depression in the ground there. If you walk across that, that's kind of, you're probably going to get shot. Um, so there's a village to the right of the screen where we went to speak to the local chief, and we said, hey, what's the flag doing here? And he, a long story, it took forever. Mm. Um, and we're just looking at this flag and we're talking amongst ourselves jokingly. 
saying, oh, I'm going to pull the flag first. I'm going to get the flag first. In Inside of me, like my intuition is like, I was a bit cocky, but I was like, there's something up. Because this is like maybe two months into our deployment. So we've all been pretty safe so far. Not much had happened. We we're just doing some basic patrols. But yeah, um, you know, I'll, I'll let the video play out and talk. So essentially, um, the, the chief said, you're going to have to shoot me. I'm not pulling the flag down. And that's not just a ring alarm bells for me. Um, he's like, I'm like, what do you mean the chief's not going to pull the flag down? It's just a flag. Go pull the fucking thing down. And he's like, nah, you may as well shoot me because of that in there. And if I pull it down, they're going to shoot me anyway. So he's like, kill me now. <laughs> Essentially, I'm like, all right. But there's something going on with that. So what our, our drills were to do for, this is a known target. There's something suspicious. So we used to, what we did was to walk around in a circle and slowly spiral in. You're looking for wires and um, different devices and things. And I, I knew they were likely to probably shoot us from the, from the hill. So I put myself in between... I was carrying an electronic countermeasure which jams all these frequencies and things um, for people. Imagine like your roller door, garage door, a remote like that. Sometimes I'd have bombs that would go off like that. So we'd have a, a jammer thing. So I positioned myself in between the device and where I thought the likely spot would be for them. Um, anyway, it was taking time. I had one of my two, two, I had one engineer who was Australian and one engineer who was Afghani. And they're both, I was pretty confident with them both. And as we're doing this, that sergeant who I had my arm around before came up to me and started speaking Afghani, um, essentially telling me to hurry up and pick the flag up. And I was like, nah, just, just relax. I'm telling this, like I was 26 or something like that years old. And this guy was like 40. These guys have been fighting the, the Russians and everything for so long. And so I'm like a fresh young face telling this guy what to do. He wasn't having a bar of it. So he, he went over and decided to pick the flag up. So, yeah, we're at the moment, you can probably see there's a couple of Australians down the back there. I'm, like, in the middle there. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So the dude, who I remember, is just this cloud of dust going, Poof. Wow. Like, I was, last thing I said to the guy was, like, stop, 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 stop. And he didn't, and he's, and yeah, so he, he got launched into the air, um, landed, and I'm, I'm all of a sudden going, like, oh, fuck, the floor's lava. There's going to be other devices on the ground. I'm freaking out. And I couldn't see anything. All I could see was um, dust. And eventually the dust cleared and I was screaming at my other guy, Alex. I'm like, fuck, Alex, Alex. There's nothing. I was like, fuck, Alex is probably dead or something as well because he was really close. I was, you know, five, ten metres away. Alex was three or four metres away and the Afghan guy was even closer. So it's like this device has just launched these other guys away. And eventually Alex goes, oh, man, fuck. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, thank fuck, he's alive. Oh. Uh, he goes, what happened? I'm like, oh, dude, just come come back to me. Uh, and I was, you know, telling him to do all these things. He's like, oh, do I go to the old mate? I'm like, nah, man, he's he's, he's dead. I could see, like, his just face was missing. Mm. Um, and, like, he's just, there's no chance. His body was launched. He's, he doesn't have a face anymore. Like, his whole, mm. it was the mortars. There was mortars attached to this thing anyway. So, yeah, that was um, kind of sketchy for us. And, yeah, it was kind of our first, like, realisation of how, like, just like that, just life's over for that guy. This particular one was where I just had a really strong intuitive sense. I just, uh, just no other reason apart from I just went, there's something over there. And we were sat there for a little bit and the patrol was doing something else and they didn't want us. So I was having a disagreement with these people. And so we were just sitting under a tree. 
And I said, oh, guys, I reckon there's something underneath that over there. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I, honestly, there's something telling me that there's over there. Let's go check it out. And we found all this stuff. Like, it was so cool. I was just like, <laughs> radios that had GPSs with, it was like a biggest, really cool haul just from just sitting there and trusting the intuition of high quality stuff. I was like, fuck yeah. And it was also double fuck yeah, because someone else was telling me to do this other job and I wasn't, I'm like, no, that's not how it goes. Like, you know, you know trust me. Um, and you know, they went and did their thing, didn't find anything. And then I was back here kind of laughing. I'm like, I told you, trust me. Wow. And yeah. how did, how did it work for you? Cause I remember when we were at Croatia, you were telling me that, um, your intuition actually saved, saved a lot of lives. Like, how did it work for you when you, when you felt there was something here? Like, how does it work for you? How do you, is it a feeling? Is it? Yeah. A- well, yeah just, uh, I know that's like gut feeling, but it was like, just this like strong feeling in, in my belly, mostly if it was mm. something like unsafe it was mostly around my belly mm. um it's like oh something's coming up wow were you ever challenged by your superiors for this decision uh, yeah well that's yeah not not so much the people on the patrol but it was when i moved to different because eventually we were, we were attached to a combat team combat teams a conglomerate of different roles of different people um but eventually we we got moved because we're getting uh, yeah, for whatever reason, we were moved. And it was when I was moved to other positions that I didn't have the relationships built up and I was I was pretty confident in what I was doing. Mm. And they were asking me to do something and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And because I was only, I was like, I had two stripes, I was a corporal um, and these people were like uh, senior soldiers, like they were, you know, been in, they, had, they were warrant officers and sergeants in the hierarchy scheme of things. I was meant to do as I was told. But um, I was like, fuck you. Like, there's bigger things in here than, than your fucking ego. Like, I'm trying to keep people alive and and do, <laughs> do what I say. I was a subject matter expert, so I did have that to fall upon. And it just ground, it rubbed people the wrong way at times. And I did, I had a pretty short fuse, to be honest. I, I didn't take their shit. So this is um another one of those intuitive moments, I guess. Um. What happened is that we were patrolling through this town, Derapet, and there's things called combat indicators where you know something's going to happen. It's just, you can see it. Um, so as we're walking to the town, through this town, Derapet, we saw all these women and children leaving, like ants, just mm. leaving the town. So you're like, oh, something's going on. And all, all that is left are people who want to fight. If they think they can beat us, then they'll come into this sort of, you know, engagement, which is what happened here. We were patrolling through the town. We saw all the people leaving. And all of a sudden, as we're walking through the town, they, they fired a couple of shots over the top of our heads. And we're like, oh, it's on. This is probably our second, you know, big, big, they call it contact. And so we've moved forward. It's kind of like first aid in a sense. And, you know, DRS, danger response, air breathing circulation. With, with us in the army, it's like danger. As the shot rings out, you know, naturally you'd probably want to run away. But with, the training kicks in and you run towards it. You've got to remove the danger. And that's by eliminating the enemy. So, yeah, we all started running towards this thing. I actually remember running. So, I was so excited. Like, I didn't really, I don't know, it's like, oh, it's happening. And I was just running up on the open. And one of the, the snipers that was with us like, hey, Metho, you're a really big target man up there. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And so then I ran back down. And we all, the best way to move through this situation was up this aqueduct because it provided us some concealment. Like, they couldn't quite see us, but also cover like cover is where you're, def- you know, protected from bullets and things coming inwards. 
So we we're moving stealthily towards where the gunshots came from. We couldn't quite see them. They were over in the trees over the other side. Um, and I was behind, I wasn't completely attached to my team. Like I was separated for them. So I was trying to catch up with them. Um, I was talking with commanders and I was, my other guys kept moving forward as they were meant to do. And for this particular patrol, we had a person that probably wasn't meant to be there. He was a high, more of a high ranking officer. And there's, he's saying to the people now to shoot where they think they are. And you'll see what happens when we when we start shooting. Because they didn't, because that's me there with that thing on my back. That's the antenna. So my guys are further up at the moment. And so he's telling me to stop. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going to go. So when we start shooting, it's really noisy. It's so loud. And then the dust also. So in this patrol, there's probably about 10 Australians and about 15 Afghan National Army soldiers. And all of a sudden, we're shooting where we think they are. And what's happened here, though, is at the end of this um, aqueduct, there was a block in the wall. Like, there's a, we couldn't keep going up that way. We had to go up and around. So as we went up and around, we couldn't go over the hill because it was too high up that way. We had to go down this path. But down the path, we are getting radio communications. We could intercept their radio saying they're about to walk into our, our trap. They had placed an IED just up in the, in the hole, just up, up here. And so when I got to my guys, um, they're the kneeling at the end of the thing there. Okay. So they were, they were kneeling at the end of this wall. And further up there, um, just around the corner, there's a, another building, um, which we we're trying to get to. But there was what I suspected was an IED in the ground just here. Like there's only one way to go. And we had to go through that spot. Right. And I was like, fuck, okay. And I said to my guys, because they had the equipment, I'm like, guys, you got to go check that. And they're like, no, nah, fuck that. Because over the other side, there's like machine gunners and stuff. It's really exposed position. It was a perfect spot for, for an ID because they, they're drawing us towards this spot. Good chance that that's going to be covered by enemy, enemy machine gun fire, which it was. And so I'm getting the orders on my radio to keep moving forward, like hurry up, keep moving forward. Uh, and so I said to my guys, fucking go check it out. And they said, no, no way. And like, I'm getting this hurry the fuck up method. I'm like, fuck, okay. And I went, I'm, I'm going to have to do it. Um, so I casually walked towards this device um, thinking that I'm invincible or something. I'm just like in a drill, casually walking. And next minute there's like, there's these whizzes, like these bees around my head. Um, and I'm like, fuck, because it was, and then dust is kicking up around. And I was like, fuck, I think they can see me. So then I went to a knee and I was crawling forward. Um, and eventually the, the, it, the fire, you know, incoming rounds were so intense that I was crawling and I started crawling towards the device. And then as I got out there, I realized I didn't bring all the equipment with me to deal with it properly. So I, like, I was in a really shit spot. And Mark, my other guy here was looking over my shoulder, leaning out from the building, shooting at me. I'm getting shot from a machine gun by the side. And I was in a whole lot of hurt. Actually, I I really put myself too far out beyond my means and skills and capability. Like I was fucked in in um, in layman terms, and it was a moment there where I realised how much of a shit decision I've just made. Mm. And um, all of a sudden, it just just rained hell on me. It's like there's dust and things kicking over, and I rolled into the corner of the wall, and I just sort of lied there for a moment thinking fuck i'm dead like it was just it was an instant um like my whole belief around me being invincible was just shattered 
and like I'm like I'm I'm just dead. Like this is this I was just waiting for the thing just to to end me. And then I realized there was a point there where I realized that if I die here, then my guys are gonna have to come drag my fat ass out. But they're not gonna leave me. And I'm like, fuck, I can't, I can't, I've got to make it as easy as possible for them to get me out, to get my body out. So I started crawling backwards. And as I was crawling backwards, every crawl backwards, I just kept shooting towards where the guy was in the building to try and keep him, keep him from killing me. And just kept crawling backwards, crawling backwards. And eventually someone said, get up and run. And I just pushed myself up and, and sprinted as fast as I could. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's, this is what sort of fucking shocked. And um, eventually, I did. As I was crawling backwards, I, I looked back to see, you know, you know how much further I've got to go. And as I looked back, all I saw was the guys running away, or mm. you know, withdrawing. And I was, I went, "Fuck, fuck!" Like they've left, they've left me. And I was, "Fuck!" Yeah, that was the moment. I was like, "God damn it!" Mm. I'm gonna get all that way back. And like I'm just, I just—it was a complete thing of alone. I was just completely alone. So I shot across the knuckle actually, and I was just bleeding at my hands. And that's why the guys are going, "Meta, you're right." And this was the most exhausted I've ever been in my entire life. I was just like, <clears throat> the mud in, in an aqueduct, just sucking your feet down. It's called a fighting withdrawal. Tunnel of love, like one person keeps looking out and. So eventually we made it back to this building and I was like, oh, sweet, it's finished. And mm -hmm. I'm realizing that we still had to get oh. back to the base. And they followed and, you. Yeah, they followed us. <laughs> oh, my God. So this guy was watching. So we just threw some grenades down to slow him up. So before, before, before when we got back to the base, I just I remember just lying, just collapsing on the floor, just lying. And I had all my kit on. I just lied completely flat on the back. And I was just staring at the roof. I don't even know how long. And eventually one of the snipers that was with us come up and he goes, oh, Metho, you remember them cartoons back in the day? And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean, dude? He's like, where they, you know, where there was a dead body and they just used to draw the outline? Mm. He goes, that was you. <laughs> he goes, how the fuck are you alive? And I just went, I don't know, man. I don't know. And yeah, so yeah, I mean, the next day we went back out on patrol and it was like every single morning, every time I used to go on patrol, I, as soon as we have to step off, I'd be so scared. <laughs> I'd literally have to go to the toilet. Mm. Just, my, my bowels would evacuate just like every single time. Mm. I could be, I could just do anything <laughs> to get myself ready. But as soon as we had to step out, I'd always take an extra couple of minutes. Everyone's like, fuck, Metho. I'm like, I just, like, I was hiding it, but I was so scared in the end. One thing that I really loved was when we were around and we saw the kids. That was kind of the coolest part. We're seeing all these. They're saying, Salam alaikum. And, I, you know, I wouldn't speak their language very well, but I could speak dance. So I gave them the sprinkler move. <laughs> oh, and I think I did the shopping trolley too. <laughs> the shopping trolley? I don't know that one. 
You're gonna shine me in a minute. <laughs> I'm not even looking. I'm giving up. <laughs> So I want to ask you, you know, when when you said um, after that time where you you know you thought you thought you were done, and then every morning when you had to go out there, you know, you mm-hmm. literally shit yourself with fear. What did you do then? Like, what did you do with that fear? Did what did you do with that fear? Did did you move? Did it did it dissipate at some point or? No. Nah, what happened? No, nah, never. Um, uh, the only. Like if it was just me, then there's no yeah, I would have fucking no way I would have left uh, the base. But every single time I look at the other faces around, and I like I knew that we were a team, and you know we were looking after each other. And we're all we're all scared in some way, whether you know the guys said it or not, but um, they were. But we was it was just the the camaraderie that we had it was like we're not going to leave anyone behind. Like we were doing it for each other. Mm. It wasn't for some. Um, for me, I'm speaking for me, it was really, really was about looking after the mates around me. Like I, I had confidence in my abilities, in you know my intuition as well. Not that I called it that then. Um, but yeah, I had confidence in myself and I trusted my team and I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else apart from with them. Mm. Um, so, you know, if I if I chose to not go on a patrol, then I, I wouldn't I wouldn't live with myself. I, I wouldn't <laughs> It wouldn't be possible. I, I just, it just doesn't comprehend. Yeah, yeah, it's just totally for my mates, totally. And and yet they left you, right? When you when you said you looked and they were running away from you and they left yeah. you there. Well, <laughs> that was my interpretation of it at the moment. They they didn't leave me there. They were, they were, in, in the moment I was like, you fucks, like you've left me. But yeah. the reality was they were ordered to withdraw and they were just moving up to the next moment in right. time. Right. But as soon as I looked, that's what I saw, and that's right. what it sent to me. Yeah. Do you, Do you like? I I feel like this is a rhetorical question, right? I feel like it's even stupid asking asking it as a, as a question, but I'll ask it as a question. That moment, that moment. How did that shape your life? How did that moment shape your life? Uh, well, um, at the time, I thought I. You know, my my thought was solely that moment in time that was, you know, the event that caused post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever. Um, coming home, I'd, I'd, uh, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Every time I go to sleep, I'd have, uh, even think about now. Mm. <laughs> I just have these dreams where I'm, and, and I'm powerless. Mm. I couldn't do anything. And then I'd wake up screaming or mm. whatever, sweaty. Uh, mm. So I just I couldn't sleep. So mm. uh, I turned to the things around that would um, get me past that: drugs and alcohol, namely. Um, if I was really drunk, then I wouldn't have these dreams, and mm. it was all around powerlessness and, and feeling alone. Um, yeah, um, like I, I see it now as from a different level. Yeah, I did some work around you know healing that that moment in time, but. That, that sort of energy has been kind of like one of my life lessons in the sense is like uh, believing that I'm separate to God or, or something like else. But, you know, in that moment, I said, like I was saying, fucking God left me. Mm-hmm. Like I was abandoned. But like how could I abandon myself? I was with myself. So I'm like, you know, the, the big lesson for me is around that. So it's kind of like a, a 
that I've had that lesson played out to me in, in little sections before in my life, but that was a key moment where it really sort of struck that chord solidly to to show me to to heal some of, some of those aspects around that. Mm, gosh, I never would have expected you to give me that answer. It's really quite beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it it, it took a, it took a while um, to to sort of get to that point. Uh, I didn't want to say that I was hurting or not coping, especially. You know, I left the as I was saying before. I, you know, I left the army in two thousand and twelve. Um, I had my discharge. I put my discharge paperwork in while I was in Afghanistan, and um, just because I didn't want to be, I was, I was sick of being told by these other people like how to like. I trusted myself so much, so I, I got sick of being told how to to be, and I didn't want to be part of that anymore. And I was, you know, I was hurting from all these events, and I was like, I'm out. I've had enough. I'm I'm just moving. I'm getting mm. out. And I didn't really uh, look after myself from coming home from Afghanistan. I was straight into party mode and like blocking all of it out. And, you know, then I was completely separated and I separated myself again. Like I, I left the army. Then I was like, I'm alone again. And so that message kept playing out and, and playing out and playing out until I chose to sort of do some healing around it. Mm. And what do you see now? Like what's the contrast of that story of I'm alone? What, what, what do you like know? How, oh, I mean, I just see life and, and connectedness and, and sort of like I said, God's in, in within within me as, as much as in, within anyone. It's in all of us. Um, and so I, I sort of see, I just see so much more peace and joy and, and, and love now. The polar opposite to, to what I was there was like separateness um like i don't know if there could be any more separateness between there's us and them and they're the bad guys anyone around that they're completely bad they're wrong whatever um but like i see with that they're just doing them i I really sort of a bit of a shake up internally for me to to see the truth i i suppose not that separateness separateness And when you talk about God, because, you know, it's good to define what you mean by God, because I know that I use the God word a lot in this in this podcast. And I have people actually appreciate when I define what I mean by that. So I say for me, and I'm not saying this is for you, but for me, I say oh, I'm not religious. Like I'm not saying God from a religious point of view. I'm saying God from a universal mind slash love, spiritual sense that there's an intelligence that's loving that is everywhere in everything, including us. How do you define it? That's that's pretty much awesome. That's, ah. uh, that's how I would have said it too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just everything is just like light and, and and love, and it's not. Yeah, it's not like. Yeah, it's not like there's someone completely separate to us, like a like an almighty person above us. Yeah, like, the grey beard in the sky. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's, it's not. It's like not a hell. It's just it's all light and love. It's just here for yeah. us to you know, experience and, and learn and um, evolve and it's in us, it's inside of us. So do you know, so speaking of, because, you know, when we when we talk about this type of way of seeing in the world, or seeing the world, I should say, you know, I often talk about, you know, we have a soul contract, like our soul has inhabited this body, this personality, this life, you know, these relationships, these circumstances in order to have a particular experience the soul has wanted to have. You know, you chose, my God, your soul chose a bloody big life to be in Afghanistan to experience what you've experienced. Do you know what 
in the bigger picture, your soul chose if Afghanistan to experience, to come to know, to come to remember? Yeah, I, I have contemplated this and um, it's like I, 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 and I'm not saying this from an ego-y sort of thing, it's like I, I, in a sense like my soul chose chose that, chose to, to take on that pain and that, that suffering to experience it. Like that moment in Afghanistan, I, I was saved, like angels or whatever around me knowing that there's a bigger picture for me. Mm. And to die in that moment was was not my plan. Mm. Um, there was kind of a divine intervention of knowing of, for me to live. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was for, for me to to be able to experience that because uh, yeah, I, had this, I had the strength to be able to, to handle it um, and so I could help others. So talk to me about that. So I really, I really uh, am sensing what you're saying about you know, it wasn't your time to die, that you were you were absolutely looked after because you had you had other work to do. You had you had other work to do. So what 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 is that? It's I I, I don't know precisely what it is, but I know it's around bringing joy and and, and love to, to people and playing, playing and finding their, their inner joy again. When I when I came back from Afghanistan I I, I I had lost that. Like mm. I, it was inside of me, of course, but I, I just couldn't see it. And I was finding it in, in all the wrong, not the wrong places, in the places that weren't in alignment with my with my divine plan, like my truth, or you know, for me who as as I am, and in in relationship with others, especially in myself and with others. So, you know. Going through and, and you know releasing some of the pain and suffering from those experiences allowed me to be able to, to be with others who are in in you know places like that um, as well and to, to be able to hold compassion for myself number one and holding compassion for myself I'm able to uh, to be with others as well and it's my hope my dream is to you know build this playground for others to come and and, and find themselves as well. And I'm not sure what exactly that looks like, but I know it's got something to do with sounds. It's got something to do with um, movement. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just fully alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to go to what's currently here, if that's okay. Um, because I know compassion's a big thing for you. And I also know that forgiveness is a big thing for you because what happened before we got on this Zoom call was a memory popped up on Facebook and it was a memory of you as a soldier in Afghanistan and it brought some emotion up for you and I said to you so this was this was before the recording I said what's that emotion and can I hand it over to you yeah I'm, I'm just crying a bit now actually and yeah it's sadness is kind of here with me at the moment and there's someone uh, uh, it's like honoring there's this two friends of mine who, who didn't come back from Afghanistan 
I, I blame myself and I blamed others for one in particular, uh, Richard Atkinson. Mm. My team was swapped out from where we were and uh, too much to my resistance. I fought and fought and fought to have this decision overturned, but it wasn't to be. And uh, within two weeks of swapping out, the act was blown up. Mm. The spot where I should have been, to, to my knowledge, and uh, it ate me up so much. Mm. I see it now. He's, he he gifted him his life. For me, <laughs> every every hands like that, I sort of, I didn't want to be associated with the army or the military. I wanted to nothing to do with them at all. I still kind of get like a bit irked by it. But, you know, every hands like that, I put my medals on in honour of them, for them. And I'm like, I'm sort of <laughs> remembering now, it's just like a, a really strong remembering of like, Fucking stick to your purpose. That's what it's calling me to do. Like, keep finding that joy. That's what they, that's what 100% what they, I used to think they'd want me to get fucked up. Like, I'm just going to go get high on drugs or, because that's what we used to do. That's what they want me to do. But I was missing the point. The point was that they wanted me to joy. That's what I was fucking the signal up. I was interpreting it through my own stories, but and I can I can feel them here now, just like cheering. Going, yeah. <laughs> it's just what it is, it's just love. It's like that's what you gotta find. That's I'm I'm hearing them now saying, bro, that's what you this is what you're doing. Find the joy, find the love. Hmm. So the forgiveness and yeah, that was a, that was a big one. Like I was blaming other people for Akka's death and you know, I blamed and blamed and blamed and blamed and blamed so much that I had lost so much power for myself and, mm. and no one cared, blah, 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 all these stories mm. going on. I remember walking down the street here in the Gold Coast and some a lady, gentle lady, bumped me and I fucking went to push her to the ground and murder her. I was like, what the fuck have I become? Just constantly looking for fights. Anyone, any opportunity, I, I was ready to to kill. Just so much anger and hate and rage. Yeah, just got so much that I just, you know, I found my own death. Like, I couldn't, I was like, well, who am I? Like, just was so far off who I was. So it's what I felt like. And uh, just by chance, a friend called up and said, like, what are you doing, you dickhead type of thing? I don't know how he knew. He had the intuition, I suppose, as well. And uh, he said, I need you. With all us fouls, like, I need you. Mm. Like, I felt like I was a failure of a human being. I was, here I was in Afghanistan leading big missions and doing all this planning and keeping people alive, and I come back and try for a leadership position in a fucking sports center. And <laughs> you don't have any qualifications. I'm like, uh. <laughs> like you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> Right, and I was just like, well, who am I? Like, I can't even do that. Like, I had nothing. I was on the bones of my ass, so I didn't have any support. So I was like, yeah, I was out, tapping out of life. Total opposite of the joy and the love. Mm. Um, but I was at the point where my friend called and said, you know, you need to get help. 
and that's where the story of forgiveness steps into. And mm. um, how did that start with with whom? With a psychiatrist, believe it or not. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I used to think they're just throwing medications at me. I don't want to take this fucking medication, blah blah. blah. But this guy actually, um, I, I went up to him. I said, I don't want to fucking take your medication anymore. Uh, it's not working for me. I still, I don't feel right in me. Yeah. He goes, well, if you really want some to do some work, like, have you ever thought about who was making the decision? You know, who made that decision to, you know, that went to Acker's death? And I was like, why the fuck would I want to think like them? They're fuckwits. Complete opposite. There was a position above me in this a sergeant's position. And I was like, I don't want to be them. I wouldn't, no way. And he's like, mate, if you really want to work this out, put yourself in his shoes. What would you have done? And so I sat in this chair. This is like 2014 or something like that, right? 2015. Three years later, carrying all this hate, so much hatred, mm. like a backpack of hate, so, mm. so heavy on my shoulders. And I sat in this chair. And I sat in this chair because I, I was completely, this guy to me was worse than the Taliban. That's how much hatred I had for him um, at the time. And I just I could not figure out any other way apart from what he would have done. I would have done exactly the same thing. I would have given the exact same order. And I just went, fuck me. I sank, I sat in my chair and just cried all this time. I've hated him, planned his death. Hmm. And I would have done exactly the same thing. I just went, I, it just derailed me completely. I was just, in a good way, like uh, just boom, and it hit me so hard in my heart. Oh, oh and I'm such I'm, oh, I can't believe I've done that. A friend, he was a friend of mine before I left. He's we're friends now too. I should ask. Mm. Um, and he goes, the psychiatrist goes, there you go. And I'm like, all right, well, thanks. I'm thinking that's finished. He goes, if you really want to heal this, you got to call him up and apologize. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Wow. I haven't spoken to him in years. There's no way it could be possible. Anyway, I, I'm living, I was living at Corumban at the time, Palm Beach, Corumban, somewhere, Gold Coast. And I, I straight away went to my car after this appointment. I was shaking in the car like I used to do. And um, I, call, uh, I just called called him up, sound of blue. And he, he answered within like two rings. And I was like, hey, man. He's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, um, oh, it's probably, you know what? Oh, you're probably busy or whatever. He goes, no, no, what's, what's up? And I'm like, oh, do you mind if we meet up and have a conversation or something like that? I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm on the Gold Coast now anyway. There's no way I'll be able to see you. And he goes, really? You're on Gold Coast? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I live here now too. Uh-huh. And I was like, really like where and he said he lived in Eleanor which is the next suburb across from where I was living and I was like fucking get fucked huh. I'm like how long have you been here and he goes a couple of years and I was like oh, all this time thinking I was when I left I was in Darwin I thought he was still there but somehow we were both on the Gold Coast and we teared up a time and I went to his house and um met his wife who told me before I left to look after him Mm. she was really thankful that I came mm. around the house and she said he's been drinking beers out the front pretty much every night since you've come back 
and he doesn't sleep very well and all this stuff. She's like, I've lost him. Mm. And she was kind of thankful that I was there. And I, I was kind of a bit torn inside because I was just like, oh, this is the guy that caused me uh, still a bit victimy in my head. Like he's caused me all this pain, but I also wanted, didn't want to keep doing that. Mm. The pain was too much for not wanting to have it anymore. So, you know, here I was. We went out and he lived on the creek and we paddled up to the Talabudja River and found this sandy spot. Uh, a key moment was last last we, we kind of had an altercation in Afghanistan and it wasn't a nice one. Um, I, I was about to fucking punch him and uh, I was just, anyway, that was kind of our last memories that we were about to come to blows. And so we're sitting with our paddles on this spit of creek and I could see, I could see him kind of like, getting ready for a potential fight or something. And I was like, mate, j- just relax. When I said, look, I'll get to the point. I said, it's not your fault, Akka died. I blamed you for that, for sure. But I know now that I would have done exactly the fucking same thing. And that his death was, was a choice for his. He made that choice. And, you know, I'm... I'm Fuck, I wish we could have been somewhere different, but it was not. This is the way it is. We can't change it. And I just want you to know that I'm so, so sorry for making your life hell because I went out of my way to make your life miserable. And I'm so sorry. Mm. And he <laughs> he, said, he said, you don't ever think I don't blame myself. And I'm like, no, to be honest, I totally didn't think you would. I thought you were that type of character that you just did not give a fuck. He goes, man, every time I go to sleep, I see his face. Every time. And I was like, oh, fuck me. I was carrying all this hatred to this guy, thinking he's had this total opposite image. I just thought he did not care at all. And he totally did. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just started crying, kind of like I am now. And we we hugged it out. <laughs> we, went from, we went from hatred to, to the love. And we hugged it out. And it's... From that point, Giselle, like the reason I share that is, you know, there was a moment, whatever long it was before that, where, you know, I was about to end my life and the ripple effects of that, what that would have had to having the choice to to step up and, you know, forgive. And, you know, from that chance of forgiveness, like I met so many different people along the journey. And then the, the, the breadcrumbs were of, of joy, led the way and you know, eventually we started veteran mentors and, and and that and you know we've helped nearly two thousand kids now and you know two thousand families and, and that sort of thing. So that ripple effect's gone doing its thing. So can you just explain veteran mentors and then I want to speak to that. Oh okay. So, yeah we, okay. I've kind of just dropped it in there. Um <laughs> I was hoping that you're gonna go there. So you thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well so one of the things I loved in that Afghanistan was mentoring the Afghan National Army people. I love doing it. I just, I don't know, I just had find it really fun um, trying to break the language barrier. When I came back to Australia, I, you know, got some casual work doing outdoor education at a sports centre. Um, and I really loved working with the kids. It was so fun. Um, they're just all fun. <laughs> just mucking around, playing. And doing. Um, I could see that there was like a something missing between what the outdoor education was offering and, you know, the, the military life. There, there was something in between that could be so cool. I tried to start it there. It didn't quite work. wasn't quite right. Yeah, eventually I, I volunteered at other places doing some similar things, army cadets and, and whatever, and I could see that they were onto something, but it wasn't quite right. There's too much political correctness going on with it. 
too many, too much red tape and crap. They were missing the point of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I met a couple of guys and um, through meeting these guys, Matthew French, um, Glenn Filtness and Ricky Darren Smith at the start, it was four of us. Um, we all just gelled so well and we all had a little bit to play in this puzzle of veteran mentors. And we, we decided like, hey, how do we, we know what we're doing with kids. We can, we can run a structure for nine days. Um, we'll put all these life lessons that we've learned along the way um, and really help these kids out. So it was kind of based from our experiences um, from army basic training to, you know, life. And we structured the program in a sort of gradual way that, you know, that at the end of it, they're, they're skydiving and doing hundred meter abseils and stuff, but we've got to start with the basics, like making their bed and, you know, moving their bodies in, in a functional way. And, you know, all these, all these like holistic healing, like we do, I do sound healing with the kids. We, we do fire talks around being vulnerable around the fire. And, um, you know, we were founded on the values of courage, resilience, and respect. And really, I, I like to think of the courage as like we're, our aim is to really kind of add more fuel to the kids' internal fire of their life. Whatever brings them joy and, and love is like, do that. We, we, we totally don't want you to join the army. Like, unless it's for you, unless you want to do that, if that's going to bring you joy, go for it. If you want to be arts and crafts extraordinaire, tick, go do that. Don't do what you don't want to do. That's what we're telling them. Like, just fill, follow your path. Just like what we've experienced. Like, I joined the army and I didn't, I didn't like it at all. It took me to go through that to realize that it's not all about getting, you know, A's at school and going to university to do something you don't love. Like, why don't you just fast track that and do what you love to start with? The path will open up. So that's kind of what we're teaching to the kids. And it's all you know, courage and conflict resolution and these things, talking about emotions and feelings and, yeah. Well, yeah part of that is helping with families as well. Yes, which is which is where I was going to go because I've got a feeling this this these pieces around compassion and forgiveness, like the level of compassion and the level of forgiveness that you that you went to, that you thought you would never to, nev- never go down that road. You, you thought you'd never give that guy forgiveness like he was so committed Mm. to your story about who he was and yet what you ended up doing through your own vulnerability and your own courage is that you like reached into the depths the depths of the depths of forgiveness and compassion so I've got a feeling that that depth of conviction and compassion lives in the veteran mentors experience with the kids and the families am I right yeah yeah that's right um Hundred percent. Like we we don't judge the kids that come to us on you know the actions that they've done in the past. So we get it. Like they're just running their own stories in their head, and sometimes they're just scared to speak up about themselves or whatever it is. So you know that's part of it. Is the big part that we do well on veteran mentors is we we lead by example in in that regard. Like we never force the kids to do anything at all. But we set the standard. So, you know, day two, um, one of the leaders, the veteran mentors will share like a powerful story around the fire. And the power is just from their vulnerability and they're speaking from their emotions. And, you know, they're not delving into a, a big story, but it's like they're speaking real about themselves. Yeah. Um, about, this, you know, some of the struggles that they've experienced. And then 
So the next day, the kids in their own sections in their small groups start sharing some of their, you know, real struggles and opening up about themselves. And it's in these moments that everyone starts to see that they're so alike. That's the whole point is that, you know, we're trying to remove that separateness and remind everyone that, hey, we are so similar. Mm. And it's all about lifting each other up and like helping each other out. And you don't have to be friends with everyone. You don't have to love, like everyone, but you know, there's a, a love and understanding that, hey, they're doing their thing and that's cool. How does it feel for you when you see um, one of the kids go to that place of compassion and forgiveness for themselves or for their parents or for whatever the experience is and you see that the parents do that with the kids as well? What's that like for you? Oh, it's just the best feeling. I, it's one of those things that I just can't put into words. When, especially the march out parade on the final day, to see see the reconnection and even if it's just for that moment in time, just the complete another like love and like connection between a parent and a child. Or, uh, it's like priceless. It's yeah. it's we're up to JLP thirty junior leader program. 33 next 33 march out parades have been to and each one has been just as powerful the first one just as powerful as the last one there's just that energy around them just letting stories go for a moment and just really honoring acknowledging that like the human life in front of them like the human being the beingness of them just mm. it's like oh. mm. Mm. it's so proud like i get so proud and it's so cool. Like we're helping these kids. Like I said, like there's 2000 kids. We're helping the families who are doing, you know, that part to it. But the other part is like the veterans as well in this community. Um, Glenn, Matt and I are now the three, you know, founders and directors of the company. And, um, you know, we, we've all done a lot of healing on ourselves and we've kind of put ourselves in, you know, we've done a lot of healing. So we, we, we're kind of also leading the example there around the mentors on like, hey, you know, time to let some of those stories go from the army you know if they want we're not forcing anyone to do anything but just kind of reigniting that um that passion inside of them as well mm. oh look i i've got this you know i never know how these episodes are going to go i never know where the conversations are going to go and what's really clear for me here is that the level of forgiveness and compassion that you've gone to and you have every right from a place of um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reconciling, reconciling, you know, your story. You've got every, every right to be committed to the, your story of hate and and rage. You've got every right, you know, given the story that that you've lived and, you know, to the point where, you know, you almost weren't here. And yet that's not what you did, right? What you did was you went to the depths of compassion and forgiveness in an environment and with people that, yeah, you'd have every right from the human story to remain committed to that story. And so what I'm seeing around this episode is that it's stirring. we're stirring away the people who are listening to this episode. There's a stirring that's happened. Like the, I want to say the chief is stirring and we'll talk about that in a minute. So I will say the chief is stirring and we'll we'll explain what that means in a minute. But I feel like those who are listening who are still holding on to stories and are really committed to their stories of blame and judgment 
and powerlessness and hate and a lack of forgiveness. The chief is, yeah, the chief is really, really calling people home. So I want to now go to this definition that I've given you as the chief <laughs> on this episode. So I just need to, so we're jumping all over the place. We've been to Afghanistan, we've been to Queensland, and now we're going to Croatia. <laughs> which let's is go great. on a journey. Let's go. Continue. Let's go back to Croatia. Yeah, so yeah. I met, I met, I had the pleasure, oh, such a pleasure to meet Troy uh, in Croatia in September this year when I facilitated a retreat with the incredible Shari L. And I met Troy through Shari. Uh, Shari always explain or <laughs> always say she's the grand dame of nonviolent communication in Australia. And you went through all that training and, and now you're you're working alongside Shari. I remember at breakfast um, one morning, do you remember when we were at um, in at Lafodia on Lopet Island, which is off Dubrovnik. And prior to that, you were you were speaking to peace, to peace, to peace, to peace, to peace, right? Because this is what you've learned. Well, I know that you've learned it through nonviolent communication, and I'm sure you've learned it through your beautiful wife, Beck, and also the other, you know, the other um, support that you've had. And when I was with you and feeling you being all about peace, it felt like there was something missing. Like I felt that was true, but I felt like there was something missing. And even in this interview, and I'm hearing about like your, like I'm going to swear because that's just what, how I can express the depth of your conviction. Like you've got fucking conviction around loving self and loving each other and really living this life to the fullest and the most joyful possible. Because as you said, your mate that passed away, that died, like he did that so that you could live. And I feel like you did Af Afghanistan in all the experiences that you did and had so that the people who are in your presence can live fully, fully. And at breakfast that morning, I said, there's something missing when we talk about, you know, peace, there's something missing. And then I said, I know what the missing piece is. It's the warrior because <laughs> the warrior still like, okay, you left Afghanistan and you left the fighting and then you came to peace and you became about that, but there's still the warrior in you. I mean, the warrior has been in this whole conversation today and we talked about being the peaceful warrior. And then we're sitting, and I, I don't know if I've got it all in, in sequence, but it doesn't really matter. And then we're sitting in, in workshop and you say, I actually remember where it was, it was in it was at Lafodia this particular time, and you said, oh, "I don't know. I, don't, I feel like fucking sounding something out. I just feel like fucking sounding, making sound." We said, "Okay, okay." <laughs> so, do you want to say what happened then? Uh, I'm pretty sure I said this to you. Like, I had the feeling during the, whatever we were doing in the in the workshop, um, but I, I'm, I'm sure I said it to it in a in a break. I was like, oh, I just kind of felt like making some sounds. And I don't know why I said it to you. Well, obviously, because that's what I was feeling. But I was, uh, you know, a little bit nervous or whatever. And I'm pretty sure you said, well, how about you do it like now? <laughs> <laughs> I 
was like, oh, now I'm extra nervous. <laughs> uh, yeah, but everyone, everyone was down for it. So we, we yeah, jumped back in the workshop again. And um, I just felt this energy come up in my body around my throat and my heart and my hands were sweaty and uh, yeah, and it, just, it just started, it was like you know, I was getting this strong signal to just to make some noise. Yeah, and then so I did and just tuned into the energy. Like I just felt like I, with my imagination, just sort of, you know, felt the energy of it. And that's where the next noise came from. I just started making these noises and we went on a little bit of a journey and um, I kind of let go of this story actually of like, am I going to sound shit or is this the right thing to do? All, all of that. Once I started making the noise, all of that just sort of noise mm. dissipated, all that fear sort of dissipated and just sort of felt. And as I kept going, the energy from that was just like getting amplified in, inside of me too. Like it was just like more free and more free and more free and, it just kind of moved. It's like I'm, I'm calling out to others as well. So yeah. it's like a, I'm, I'm in one aspect. I'm calling to myself to to allow, and then the other part of it is like this, allowing other people to do the same. Like, uh, it's just that's that's all it is for me. Is this like calling other people out to come and join me? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's all it is. That's what I'm feeling is, and I can kind of feel it again around like my upper heart area. Yeah, so it's a beyond the mind feeling experience, mm. isn't it? And, and yeah, it's and each, so each time of the world is kind of slightly different and yeah, just whatever's in the moment, yeah. So shall we? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be kind of rude not to, I think. If people I think so, listening. just be leaving them hanging. Yeah, like we've been fucking waiting all this time. Exactly. I just I just say if, um, just to the listeners, you know, um, yeah, if you are in a place where you can close your eyes, that would be a really great thing to do. And if you're not, that's cool. You can come back to it and you can still listen to it now with your eyes open doing whatever you're doing.
deep you go deep 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 thank you so much bring tears to my eyes <laughs> smile on your face <laughs> there's the joy <laughs> i guess what it was ah beautiful 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 thank you thank you ah so i feel like we're complete yeah is there some is there something that you feel to say yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of like looking forward to what unfolds me in the future. And I don't know, maybe if there's people listening that wanted some help with toning or maybe some of the things that I could offer, like I don't know where this leads, but um, just following the breadcrumbs. And if you wanted to have a conversation with me, then I'm lovely to talk to at some point. Well, let me let me beef that up a bit because... Yeah, ramp it up, Giselle. Yeah, because as I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you, like I always see things, right? That's just... Mm. I can't help but not see things. And there is a lot of um, anger and rage and hate in the world. There's a lot of it, right? There's a lot of the opposite of forgiveness. There's a lot of holding on and misunderstanding and um, lack of freedom and wanting to escape uh, just like you did and masking it all up. There's a lot of powerful people underneath all of that. A lot of powerful people underneath all that. And it doesn't mean that they've these people have been to Afghanistan. They might be there in their own Afghanistan mm. in their world, whether it be in their relationship with their with their family, with their partner, it might be with a relationship. Not might be, it is relationship. It is their relationship with themselves. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that they need to have gone to Afghanistan to feel the feelings that you felt. What's really obvious to me is that you're here to support those people to be free of that. doesn't mean that you don't have the, the feelings. I mean, you've, you've had a lot of emotion here in our conversation, but you're free and you're in your joy and you're living fully and your commitment is to continue to live fully in whatever expression that is. And you're doing amazing, amazing, amazing work with the kids. 
and their families, 2,000 families you've touched. I feel like that there are grown adults who need your support. It's about helping those people who are in their own internal war be free and living a life that they feel is one of purpose. That's who you're here for. Mm. The little kids, not the little kids, because I know they're not little, but the teenagers and the big and the adults. That's who you're here for. And you've got the capacity because you're so strong. You've got the warrior in you. You've got the capacity to hold them no matter what the story is. Like there's no story that they could tell you that you would go, fuck off. <laughs> there's no story that they could tell you where you would not hold them in that place of forgiveness and compassion that we saw here. Mm. That's who you're here for. That's who you're here for. So if there are people listening who are in their own internal wars, I'm going to put Troy's details in the show notes. If there are people that you know who are in their internal wars and you feel that Troy's their, their person, Troy's a, Troy's a non-violent communication expert. He's got the training and he's got the life experience. You can't get anything more qualified than that. So if you know people who are in their internal wars and you feel that would resonate with Troy, please reach out. You know, I remember about a year and a half ago, a former client who I worked with in 2014 wrote to me and she, she said to me, my brother-in-law's in a really, really bad place, in a really, really bad way. And you came to me, Giselle, in my intuition overnight to reach out, but I don't know if you would actually work with him. I said, of course I would. So it's that kind of, it's, that if you feel that there are people that you know, this is to the listeners, if you feel that there are people that you know that are really, really in a bad way, Troy may be their man. Details in the show notes. And finally, I want to say thank you to Troy because that was a big, you know, that's a big experience to share. Visually, first of all, I saw a video and to speak to that video and to speak to that life in Afghanistan and to speak to your life post-Afghanistan like that's big. That's really, really, really big. And you're so um, right in that you spoke about in veteran mentors, you don't do anything that you don't ask the kids to do. You do it yourself. And you really are leading from a place of integrity. Let the vulnerability that you allow yourself to be, that is that is integrity on legs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that gives permission. I'm talking about the big, big people, the adults. That's who I feel like are coming to you. It gives them permission that if they fall apart with emotion, that their life isn't going to end and it's going to be okay to feel those feelings just like you did. You know, you gave me a gift in Croatia. We were in split on that terrace. <laughs> <laughs> so we were facilitating this workshop from the, a terrace of this hotel that we were staying in. It was the most incredible, you know, spectacular place to facilitate from we're outdoors and the weather was amazing and then the what didn't work so well was that there was an elevator that um had other guests come up now most of the time you would think if guests came up and they saw that when we were at workshop and we even said it like i even said we're in a personal growth workshop that they would go down the elevator and leave us alone but no there was a particular group of people that came up and I was really fucked off myself because I was thinking, bloody hell, like they are so disrespectful. They're standing there in the corner laughing their heads off. We've just told them what we're doing. 
And then I was grateful for you that you went over to them. And I know that you were angry. I didn't, I couldn't sense that at the time and had them move on. But then what that catalyzed was um, you, oh, I feel emotional just talking about it now. You, you, um, you gave yourself permission to express and to feel the grief and the rage that was still within you. And it was probably the biggest expression of emotion I've I've seen in that kind of kind of environment. And I felt so honored. So honored that you had trust in yourself, first of all, and then trust in us, that you would give yourself the freedom to express so fully, like you were not holding back. It was full on. It was full on. And that's the space. That's the capacity that you are and have for people who have not expressed their own feelings around their own internal wars. I mean, Troy, this is the thing, right? You saved lives in Afghanistan because you put yourself first. You were the commander. You said you went first. That was your job. You saved lives there. That's what you do here now. Thank God you didn't need, don't need to be in Afghanistan for that to happen. But that's what you're about. You're the chief and the commander that saves lives. I'll, I'll, I just thank you so much for, for sharing that little moment. Um, I would just like to add a little touch on that. Mm. Uh, uh, I feel like hospitals are saving lives. Uh, I, I want to bring people the joy and the, the life that's in them not just saving them like I don't, I don't I'm not just giving you oxygen to survive that's yeah that in the hospital if you want that fucking that's for you <laughs> but if you want joy and freedom and happiness and fucking come to me yeah I'm so glad that you added that yeah <laughs> yeah there's more to life than just getting through and surviving so much more and like I I hope we can all find that. And you know what? I reckon, you know, why did your soul choose to go to Afghanistan and live such a big life over there? Because if you can live what you've just expressed, you know, a fucking joyful, happy, fully lived life, when you have every reason not to have done that based on what you experienced in Afghanistan, then bloody anybody can. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What a powerful, loving, generous demonstration of that you are. So thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to throw in one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to acknowledge uh, your beautiful wife, Beck. Mm. Yes. I had the I had the joy of meeting Beck in Croatia. And I know that she was a big part of your healing. And yeah. um, I just just wanted to throw that in and uh, that it even kind of not throw that in, that's not right. I wanted to add that and complete this conversation with honouring your gorgeous wife, Beck. Yeah, she's she's rock solid in, in that regard. And, um, yeah, I'm deeply honoured and, and grateful to have her with me on this journey as well. Um, she, 100% you are correct. She's a massive part into that healing journey. So 
Thank you. And for the people who haven't seen Troy and Beck, they're a bloody good looking couple. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. We're going to end this episode without the usual outro because what a mammoth, what a mammoth episode that was. <laughs> I. I shortened two hours into an hour and 20 minutes and uh, it is a bloody powerful episode and the reason why I'm recording this specific outro for you is to invite you to really, really be with what Troy's story has catalyzed for you. Radical forgiveness, radical compassion. The choice not only to survive, but the choice to, to thrive. The choice to be on purpose because all of your life experiences. I trust that this episode has created major ripples into your life. And thank you for listening for such a long time. It was important for us to share that audio footage of the montage of Afghanistan to get a sense of what Troy's life was like so that you can get a better sense for the contrast of who he has become. May this episode and Troy's life offer you many, many blessings. Thank you.